welcome home. Welcome home. It's homecoming, and uh, it's seeing everyone come in today was extremely overwhelming for me to stand out there, um, seeing old faces that are familiar, seeing new faces uh, that, that it's, you've been with us online, and now you're with us in person, and I do just want to welcome you, and for those of you who are watching with us online right now, listen, I want to welcome you too and say thank you so much for being with us. And my hope for you online, my hope for you in person is no matter where you are in your faith today, that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we're all about here at Crossbridge. And I I am overwhelmed because there's something very, very unique about uh, just being in this school. A couple of weeks ago when we got permission to be here and we were trying to figure out what was what, the first time we walked through these hallways, I smelt it and it it was an overwhelming smell, not just because it's a school and there's like sweaty people who run around here all day, but it was, no one was here yet. And it had this familiar smell of home, like where we're supposed to be as a church. And just being here with you today is very comforting for my soul. I don't know if you've felt this way, but the last, uh, it, <laughs> ready for this? It's been 553 days from the last time that we were together worshiping Jesus Christ our Lord in that cafeteria. It's been 553 days, 18 months and four days exactly from then till now that we have not been able to gather together. It's been a hard season, hasn't it? You can amen that. It's okay. Um, I know a lot's happened. And before we kind of jump into where we're going, I do just want to stop and give a quick shout out to uh, to two places. The first is the Classy Cow. Um, Classy Cow, listen, if you're watching right now, I just want to say thanks for being like a couch we could sleep on for months since January. You've been so gracious to us with blankets and pillows, and uh, they've been tables and chairs and a place for us to worship as a family for those who are comfortable in person, and, and I'm so grateful to them. And the other place that I just want to give a huge shout out to is Grace Church. Um, Grace Church has been so generous to us with letting us use their baptismal, helping us set up all the sound and all the lights and all these things and being so kind to us and even partnering to say, let's do church together. How amazing is that when churches can work together? So I just want to say thank you so much to them. But as we kick off our new season, this phrase homecoming just feels right, doesn't it? Like that we've come home. And I, I have a confession to make, though. I've never actually been to a homecoming. I have no idea what a homecoming looks like. And part of that is I was in a really small school in high school that it just didn't matter. No one cared about it. So it was like, fine, whatever. And then when I went to college, I commuted in college. So the idea of building community with people and like, oh, dorm rooms and all these shared experiences. I was like, yo, get me in, get me out, get me working. That was my goal when I was in college. So now when the invitation usually is sent out via email and they say, hey, do you want to come to homecoming? I'm like, no, no, I, I didn't want to be there to begin with. You know? uh, but all of my friends that I had made in those classes, that they, they get so excited. And I get those calls, Jimmy, are you going to come? Are you going to come? And I'm like, why? And I've come to realize that, that there's something really special about going home to a place that felt like home, to the smells that are familiar, that when you walk on campus or when you maybe go back to your home that you grew up in or the area that you grew up in, you know those streets and those businesses, the trees, the smells, the, the way that light hits certain places and all of a sudden memory kicks in. And you get nostalgic. 
Do you ever smell something in a place it shouldn't be and you went, that smells like home? And it brings you back to something familiar. I, I know that all my friends get pumped for those soccer games, those teacher connections, and their desire to go home actually becomes a bit infectious to me. And I'm thinking, what am I missing? What about that should I be doing? And I know that home for us, whether it is the place that we grew up in or the school that we've done church in for 15 years, when we go home, it feels right. Because I think there are times, whether we would say it out loud or whether we know it in our soul, that there are times that we feel lost, that we feel homeless, that we feel um, out of sorts, and all we think is, this is just too hard. I just want to go home. Has anybody else besides me ever been in a situation where you think, I just want to go home? Okay, good. A handful full of you are truthful. I get it, right? Um, listen, there are times that we feel lost and we think, I just can't do this anymore. And over the last 18 months, let's just call it for what it is. We've been there. We've made do with what's in front of us, but I have felt this so much. And if you've ever felt this way like I have, I have amazing news for you. You're not alone. And not only are you not alone, this question of, I, I, can I just go home? Can I just go to a place where I feel safe has been a question that people have been asking for centuries. And today what I would love to do is to look at a homecoming, to look at a story that Jesus tells about a homecoming party. And you're thinking, Jesus, didn't, they didn't do college and all that stuff. Like, what are you talking about, a homecoming party? Um, I would love to tell you this story about a homecoming party. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke. Um, it'll be the third book in your New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Um, we have a handful in the back. If you don't have one, please just raise your hand. It is our gift to you because it is... Uh, the most life-giving book you'll ever have in your hands, I promise you. So as you're turning there to Luke chapter 15, I think it's important for us to kind of get a setting of the story that Jesus is going to tell because he's telling this to a mixed group, if you will. If you look at verses 1 and 2, we, we read this, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He's even eating with them. Jesus is in a mixed group. He's got two sets of people um, from this community that he's around. People who, by all cultural standards, are lost. Here, we read, the translation says that they're notorious Sinners. These are tax collectors. These are people who the Jewish community that they were in say, you don't belong here. You are other. We don't want you. And so we have these others who were part of the crowd. And then we also have these religious leaders. We have these teachers of the law who know all the rules. They're running the show. And they are people who I would, I think the best way to put it is they're people who believe that they've been seen by God while everyone else is notorious sinner. And so they've set themselves apart, and their frustration with Jesus is because he hangs out with these notorious sinners, and they're saying, that's not setting yourself apart. That's, 
That's unacceptable. And so when they come at Jesus, Jesus does what Jesus does best. He doesn't hit them with some deep theological statement saying, well, if you jump into Deuteronomy, it's... No, 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 no. Jesus tells them stories. Jesus tells them actually three stories. And I, I like to refer to this as the lost chapter of the Bible, simply because there are three stories about lost things that will be found. Luke 15, the lost chapter of the Bible. The first story that Jesus tells them very quickly is about a shepherd who has a, a herd of sheep and he loses one. They go off and wander. And so this, sheep, this shepherd does his best to go find the sheep. When he finds the sheep, he goes, he collects the sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, and he goes back to the pen to put it in. And we read that there is rejoicing that happens in this moment. And it's the man rejoicing, his neighbors rejoicing, his village rejoicing, and heaven rejoicing because a lost sheep was found. It was beautiful. The second story he tells is simply about a woman who has 10 coins. And each coin is worth about like a day's wage is what most people think. And, and she loses a coin in the house. This is not good. So she tears the house apart to find the coin. And when she finds the coin, the same exact thing that the shepherd did, she does. She rejoices. She throws a party for what was lost was found and her neighbors rejoice with her. And the last story that we were going to look at is a story that are simply about two lost sons. Because the religious leaders of the law who are listening at this point, when Jesus talks about a sheep and a coin and things being found, are probably a little bit hesitant here. They're on edge going, what are you doing? Why are you saying these things? And I have a feeling all these notorious sinners, if you will, which I think this is the group that I've probably be most associated with. This group that felt left out would be listening in and saying, what is he talking about? Because I feel lost. And when I say the word lost, I think the best way to describe what does it mean to be lost, maybe we'll just use Jesus' stories to define what, what is lost. Lost simply means that, like, like the sheep, maybe you're away from safety. You're outside of community that you feel isolated and alone. Anybody been there the last 18 months? Oh my gosh, I've been lost. Maybe lost feels like being this coin that you know that you've got a purpose for something, that you've been created to do something in your life, and yet here you find yourself in a place out of circulation. You're not useful. You feel lost. I understand that too. And so the story that Jesus tells with these two lost sons is going to really drive home, and it's a pretty long story, so I don't want to read it all at one time, but instead just kind of pick it apart a little bit. Is that okay? Oh, Crossbridge, we're home. You could talk to me, please. We're going to break it up a little bit together and walk through it. Sound good? Okay. Amen. There we go. Oh, good. This is good. All right? We get to reset church. This means we talk back to each other now, okay? It's a new thing. Let's start. Verse 11, it says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Uh, our story starts with two sons. The 
father who has a nice estate here, enough to divide in Jewish culture here that everyone listening would have understood is you pre-divide up your land to make sure that when you pass away, it gets divided. It's never equally, it's always actually unequal, the older son getting more than the younger sons, just the way it worked. And so the younger son goes to his dad and says, I want my share. This is the equivalent of the younger son going to his dad to say, I wish you were dead. Sounds like a great home, doesn't it? Sounds like a wonderful home. Um, there's this moment that it's like, what do, you, what do you do with that? Well, the father divides up his stuff. The, the father divides up the land. He divides up all the property, and he gives this portion of the estate to the younger son, which also means that the older son would have then gotten his portion of the estate. The estate would now, in this story, belong to the older brother. He would run the estate... All the profits on the estate, though, would actually go to the dad. So he'd be kind of living off the profits, but he'd still be present at the home. And that's just kind of the way this situation would have worked out in this culture that everyone would have understood. So we continue in verse 13, where it says, A few days later, the younger son, he packs up all of his belongings, and he moved to a distant land. Now, for us, very normal, right? You get what you think is coming to you, and uh, you move away. Does anybody have family that is not living in their home right now? Family that lives around the United States, around the world. We all have this, right, where it's, it's normal for us to send a kid off to college, and it's like, oh, well, they're going to California, they're going to Washington, they're going overseas for a semester abroad. We're like, cool, no problem. Well, in this culture, you don't leave your homes. You don't leave your villages at all. In Eastern culture, if you left home, it was a disgrace to your family, and it was a disgrace to your village. You've chosen to leave community. You've now chosen to cut them out of your life. You can't go back home. So you better make it if you leave. Does that make sense? You better make it, because there's no couch for you to crash on. Verse 13, a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Just about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This is a pretty stark picture that Jesus paints of this son, isn't it? There's, there's no accountability for this son, so he could spend this money freely however he wants, and he blows through everything. He goes through all of this inheritance that he's been given. But if that wasn't enough, if you read this, you see that it's almost like the land began to punish this son. You ran out of money? Fine. Now you can't buy anything. Well, let's throw in famine. And now that a famine is present, he's got nothing. There's no way to earn money. There's no way to eat. He can't even like glean different fields. So he hires himself out to a pig farmer. We know that listening, this is uh, a, a Jewish community listening. And with religious leaders of the law, they know all the rules. And if you go into Leviticus, they know the rules about pigs being an unclean animal. It's actually repeated in Deuteronomy as well. So it would have been this whole thing like, you don't go near pigs. You don't eat pigs, touch pigs, feed pigs. And now this kid 
is not just touching, feeding, and caring for. He's looking at their food saying, I'd love some of that. At this point, this kid's lost everything. This son has no worth, no value, no community, no identity. I have a feeling that a majority of the listeners, at least the religious leaders, would have been like, good. You deserve it, punk. You should have never left home. You blew your money. You're, uh, you're not accountable to anybody or anything. You, good for nothing, little... They'll finish it. You wasted it. It's your fault. You get what you deserve. That's what justice is. But that's not the story. Jesus continues. In verse 17, he said, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at, what's that word there? Let's say it again. At, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go. I will go. Let's say it one more time. I will go. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me in as a hired servant. This son has an aha moment. Things are not the way it should be right here. And what I love about this is it's not how bad his life has got that brings about this, uh, you know, bringing him to his senses. If you look, it says he came to his senses because of the goodness of the father. Because of how good the father was to even his servants that a son would say they were treated better it's not, oh, this is the worst for me, but my dad's goodness is worth going home for. So he practices this speech, and I'm sure the whole way home, I got to make sure the words are right. My tone is right. You know, get that message ready so that dad hears it, and maybe his goodness could be on you. He's going home. And in verse 20, so he returned. Come on, Crossbridge. So he returned home. If you're watching online right now in the chat, just write the word home in all caps. He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh my gosh. In, in the East, you have to know this. It is so unusual for old men to run. Men do not run. They've got tunics on. You'd have to pull up your tunic. It's going to look weird. You're showing your legs. You don't do this in that culture. It's disrespectful to everybody. But that's what the father does. He runs to him when he sees him off. He's like, I am willing to disgrace all people around me and my village to get to my son because he's been actively looking for his son to come home. He's been actively looking for it. And he had to run to his son because actually the religious leaders of the law would have known this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, there's a whole passage about if a son disgraces their village and their family, they deserve to be stoned to death upon their return. That's what this son has done. He's coming back unclean and nasty. And so what the father does is in his compassion, he runs to smother him because if you're going to stone the son, you've got to get through the father. That's what a father's compassion is looks like is it smothers his son i have a feeling this would have caused this massive uproar for these religious leaders these guys who were like but that's not the way the rules work the rules say kill him he doesn't deserve it he deserves what he got but i have a feeling that every notorious sinner like me is listening and going 
I've been left outside forever. I've been so long. All I want is someone to welcome me home. All I want is someone to smother me with hugs and kisses before everyone else can keep throwing stones at me. This is what I want. And it kind of makes sense to me why these people wanted to hang around Jesus so much. It's almost like the father didn't even listen to what the son had to say. Nothing the son had to say there mattered because in verse 22, it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe into the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. This is homecoming. Homecoming means it's time to party. It's time to celebrate. It's time to sing. It's time to dance. It's time to get dressed up because you got to get dressed up for homecoming. At least that's what people tell me. You got to go buy that dress. You got to look good in the suit. You got to get ready. But this son has nothing but rags left because he's got nothing. So what does the dad do? He says, oh, you got to get dressed. And he brings the finest robe. And the finest robe would have been the father's most excellent Set aside celebration, ceremonial festival robe. Only he gets to wear that one. No, put it on my son. Put it on my son. When he puts shoes on him, this is a clear picture to everyone around. He's not a servant. He's not a servant in spite of his own request to just be a servant. And when he puts the ring on his finger, this is a proof, a signet ring that you are my son. You're not a servant. You belong in this family with my robe, my shoes, this ring. No explanation needed. No need to work yourself back into our family. I don't need any excuses. You've turned up to come home. You are welcomed here. Welcome home. And I know that for many of us here and many of you right now, you have felt spiritually lost over the last 18 months. I know that many have maybe fallen away from church, fallen away from community, that, that, you know what? I could do that online thing for a little bit. It was fine. It was really cool when we started. I'm glad we did it. Two weeks to flatten the curve. I could do that. And now, you know what? It, maybe maybe I'll, I'll skip this week. I'll just catch up online later. Anybody? Yeah, we, never, we didn't catch up online, did we? I know that. I didn't. And I preached it. Right? I, I get it. I get maybe it was like I, my small group was Zooming, and that was cool, but then it just got annoying, and I, I just, you know what? This week I'm going to skip. I know that I was helping out in this way, and, and this week it just got busy, and I'm, I'm going to skip that. And what maybe started as just a busy week, a tough week, turned in to a bad habit. It turned in to a habit that actually maybe it was a year of spiritual famine for you. Time of reading scripture. You know what? Soaping? Jimmy, that's cool. That was, that was great. Soaping. This, this is the way that we read the Bible together. We start John tomorrow. A story all about Jesus. I can't wait. But Jimmy, when we were reading that, I just it wasn't engaging. So I just I, I'll, I'll catch up on the next book. I haven't opened that book. What may have started it as a tough week, I'm sure has turned into a spiritual famine for many. 
And here's all I want to say to you. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. God's not sitting here saying, well, if you didn't put it in in the last 18 months, then, then sorry, check out. You, you got to earn your way back into the Crossbridge family. You got to show up and do these things. You know what? That's not what God says. What does God say? He says, welcome home. Get dressed up. Let's go to party. Show up on Sunday. You haven't been there in ages. If you're here today, just thanks for being here. Thanks for coming to worship Jesus. Worshiping here is different than your living room, isn't it? Come on, that's a big amen. Worshiping here is different than your living room, amen? If you're watching online, I'm just telling you, it's different. I, I, I feel bad for you. It's just different. Um, you hear the people next to you instead of like whispering. Uh, it's amazing. And with masks on, no one knows who's who. It's great. Right? Someone sounds weird. It doesn't matter. Welcome home. I don't need an excuse from you. I don't need to know that things didn't go the way you expected. I don't care if you fell off in reading or fell off in prayer or fell off in your small group. I don't care. You know what I care about? That you're home. That you're home and that you know there's a place for you. Come into party. Don't run away again. The Father's welcoming you home every week. Come home. But the story doesn't end there. And I quickly want to look because it's not one lost son. It is two. There's two lost sons in this story because there's an older son in verse 25 who's in the fields working. And when he returns, where? When he returns home, he hears the music, the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he's told. And your father's killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. Do you notice where the older brother is right now? He's out working. Right? He's managing all of the business here. The estate keeping things together. Why? He's been busy. And when he gets home, he's confused because there's a, there's a line on the books he didn't know about. There's a party line? I didn't know there was a party line. Who are we throwing a party for? You're good for nothing, runaway, squandering everything you got, brother. Oh. Any older siblings out there hate when your younger sibling gets what you think you deserve? Yeah, okay. Older siblings at a point where, you know, you weren't allowed to play that video game or watch that movie or TV show, and all of a sudden your parents gave up somewhere along the line and your younger siblings playing Halo at like seven, you know, Fortnite at four, and they're like cursing someone, and you're like, whoa, what happened? I couldn't play that till I was 14. You know, it's, something happens. I don't know what it is in parenting, but you just, not that you give up, but you just stop fighting, right? And now, could you imagine that your younger sibling not just gets that privilege before you because he got that money and that portion, right? But they go away, they blow all that privilege, they shame you, they shame your family, they shame your dad, they shame the village, and then they come back, and when they come back, there's no penalty. There's no punishment. They get a party. Anyone else frustrated besides me? Yeah, yeah, I see you. I see, if you're feeling that online, throw your hands in there. I feel that, right? You know that. And so what do we do in that situation? Well, I can tell you what the older brother does in verse 28. It says that the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begs him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never once, you never once gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. The older son does what I think most of us would do. He does not go home. 
He doesn't go into the party. And by staying outside, he's proving a point here. I don't approve of this. But also by staying outside. He's rejecting the community that's inside. And this would be humiliating to the father, to the family, and to his brother. This would have been another level of shame on his family by staying outside. And and the dad could have totally said, you get your in here, you know, we're partying. He doesn't. The father does what the father does best. What's the father do? He goes out to him. He goes out to him and he begs with him. He pleads with him. But the older brother is too angry. He says, here I am. I'm busting my butt for you. And I never got a party. He never asked for one. And his brother, he's frustrated his brother. Why? Because of his choices, his behavior. Dad, I'm frustrated at you. You're, you're too soft. You're too forgiving. You're too compassionate. You're, you're too generous. I find it very interesting here how the son, while he's never left the estate, it's very clear that he doesn't have a great relationship with the father, does he? He's on the grounds, but he has no community. He's done all the right things, and yet he feels out of circulation. Home for him is about following the rules. It's about working this estate. He has a house, but he does not have a home. There's a huge difference. And now I think he feels lost. And the fact that he could see someone else being embraced, coming home, it surfaced something in him I don't think he even knew he felt and didn't communicate. And here's what I need to say today. It's simply this. While I know that the last 18 months have been hard for some and you have felt spiritually lost, and I want to say welcome home, I do believe that there are many who carry this sense of rage, anger, and hostility that we see in the older brother. There are many who would call themselves followers of Christ, that would call themselves Christians, who maybe are still going to Crossbridge or going to another church in this season. You're going somewhere, but you have never felt more lost. There are too many Christians, I believe, that are sitting outside the house of the Father, and all they do is they beat their own chest to prove themselves right, to say, I've done all the right things. I'm doing the things that you should be doing and holding other people accountable to this made-up set of right and wrongs that we find nowhere in the Bible. That they hold themselves up and say, but I'm right, you're wrong. And I need need you to see this, that it's so much easier to sit outside the house throwing stones at people trying to have a homecoming than it is to go out and work out things with your family. I know that that's hard to go inside, but I think there's too many disciples of Jesus who have simply said, I'm not going home because I'm not dealing with them. They don't do this or they do that, and and I'm not going to be part of that. All the excuses and everyone around us, what they hear is complaining from Christians, arguing from Christians, excuses from Christians. And the sad reality is, If you find yourself outside the home throwing stones, you're just as lost as the younger son. You're just as lost. You aren't home. And the father listens to this outpouring from his son before he finally responds in verse 31 where we close. And he says, and his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost. But now he's found. 
And the father reminds his son, you've always been with me. You've always been with me. Even though you have felt lost, you're not. Everything is at the son's disposal, but he never is home. Home is about celebrating. Home should be about the lost being found. Home is a place that everyone is invited to. And this story of two lost sons, one ends with a son identified as a notorious sinner who accepts the invitation to go home. And the other, with a son whose anger problems, emotional issues, and unresolved family conflict leaves him never accepting the invitation to homecoming. One goes home, one has a house, and the invitation from Jesus is the same today to us as it was to this mixed group that he was talking to, religious leaders who had all the right rules and who would ultimately stand back and want to stone him so many times for being like a father to accept anyone who's willing to say, I will love you, follow you, and want to do all I can to live, love, and look like you. And so I simply want to ask you, Crossbridge, are you home? I know you're here, but are you home? Have you, have you fallen away from your faith and it's been this spiritual famine and you're saying, I, I need to get back. I forgot how much I needed this community. I forgot how much I, I need to know what it feels like to hear people sing with me to be encouraged, to get that handshake or elbow or, or hug when I came in, wherever you are uncomfortable with, right? I forgot what that felt like. I, I forgot how much I needed this. If you're there today, I, I want to I pray with you and, in, and lead you in a prayer to say, Jesus, would you revolutionize my life? I want to I place my trust in you because I have lost you. I, I need to come home. If that's where you're at right now, would you just do me a favor? Raise your hand for me. If you're, and I know you're like, oh, it feels weird. It feels off. Guess what? There's no one who's going to want to celebrate and party with you more than this group right here, right now, who has come to party. If you find yourself lost saying, I feel like I need a reset with Jesus. It's been a spiritual famine. That's a place you're at right now. Would you just put your hand up so I could pray for you? Thank you. If you're online, go ahead, throw that into the, the chat. And, and we want to pray for you as well. Amazing. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray so deeply that for those who have said, I have felt lost, that you would rescue them. That you would invite them back like a father does his son in this story with compassion, hugs, and kisses, and love. That there would be great forgiveness with no need for excuses. Holy Spirit, would you fill them with the desire to read your word, to pray, to be in community with people, to grow, to love, live, and look like you in all things. Jesus, would you bless them? In your name we pray, amen. My challenge to you today as we close and get ready to celebrate communion is simply this. If you're here in person today, would you make being present a priority? 
I know things are going to come up that gets hard. I love seeing, you know, kids getting ready for, you know, your sports that you're running to right after this. I love it. Thank you for saying I'll be present in uniform. I think it's the best because you're here. It, it, it encourages my faith to see you. Thanks. Prioritize being here. Make this part of your schedule that you put into your calendar. Be here. Find a place to plug in, a place that you could serve and bless this community. If you're watching online right now, my challenge to you is, is this. If you find yourself right now in a place where I know that there's fear, I know that some of you are with people who you're nervous for them getting sick, and, and there's a lot entangled in that, I would just want to say thanks for joining us and, and keep with us online till that place of safety comes for you, and, and I don't know what it looks like. And for those joining us from all over, not even New Jersey, stay right here. Thanks for being online. But I do believe that there's some people who are watching online, online right now. And I'm, I'm talking to you that you specifically have traded this convenience for the commitment of being in person. That it's easier to walk downstairs in your pajama pants or wherever you are right now. It's easier to be there because it's you know what, it's all the people. I just don't feel like saying hi. You need to be here. You need to be here. There's a seat for you. It is safe. There's QR codes for everything. Everyone's in masks behind you. They've all been up the whole time. I'm telling you, you're safe. And if you're scared and you're thinking, ah, no, no, you don't get to do that. If you can send your kids to soccer, if you could send them to a sport, if you could send them to school, you can go to church. So it's time to make a commitment and come home. I know that's uncomfortable, but I'm going to say it anyway. Come home, because we need you here in our family. You're part of this. We're going to celebrate communion together, because that's what we do as a family. We celebrate. And so what I would love to do today is, is you'll see communion set up all the way on the right, all the way on the left. Um, and everything is prepackaged, so you don't have to worry about um, everything. And there are, for those who are gluten-free, you'll find those as well in a different-looking cup that say gluten-free on top. So reserve those for those who are gluten-free right now. And as we come to the table of the Lord today, all I simply want to leave before you is, he has welcomed us home. That is through the cross of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection that we can celebrate today. And the spirit that lived in him is the spirit that lives in you and me. And today we celebrate the life of Jesus together like a homecoming. So while it's important to go get communion and we always pray and it's very somber, this is celebratory. This is a moment to smile under your mask as you go and grab that and you can grab a cup and then come back and we will all take communion together. So would you stand with me? Jesus, would you prepare our hearts to celebrate your life, death, and resurrection together because you have given us life. We celebrate life today, coming home, and family. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples. This is our picture of the Last Supper. If you've ever celebrated a Passover Seder, they are joyous and they are amazing. They're fun because they're celebrating the exodus of God providing a way out of Egypt for them. Today, we celebrate 
that after 553 days, we're home. Amen? Amen. Can you just say, we're home with me? We're home. We're home. We're home to celebrate Jesus. And he says, this is my body that's been broken for you. And as you look around you to each empty seat, for the person who's not here, my body's been broken for them. Let's celebrate the broken body of Jesus this morning. And then he holds up the cup at the end of Passover and he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all. We could celebrate great restarts that regardless of where you've been, you're home, you are welcomed, not because of what you've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. We celebrate his forgiveness today. Would you drink with me? Jesus, I pray that you would bless your church. That as we come and as we go this week, we would carry with us the presence of what it means to be home. What it means to look like a father loving and welcoming all those around us. That the celebration of what it means to be here today even would be infectious to when someone says, what did it feel like? It felt like going home. Lord, would that feeling, that smell, the familiarity of people carry us this week till we get to celebrate you again publicly? Like, what a privilege. Would that aroma carry us this week till we celebrate you again next week in this place? Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Welcome home, everybody. We will see you next week here, 10 a.m.